Welcome to Pay, Leave, and Power Week on the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofit employees are often underpaid, work long hours, and fight through overwhelming power dynamics, all while attempting to find balance. This week, we're dropping five episodes to begin breaking down the myths that hold us back, to amplify stories of who's doing it well, unpack frameworks, and give you the tools and scripts you need to fight for your pay, your leave, and your well-being in this work. It's time, friends. But please hear this. We believe so deeply there's hope. And if anyone can be the agents of change, we believe it starts here in this community where hundreds, even thousands of conversations follow, leading to change. Together, we can co-build the next chapter of this impact uprising. Today is day one, and we're beginning the week diving headfirst into a conversation about pay in the nonprofit sector. How did we get here? Where do we go from here? And reimagining what's possible. So glad you're here. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Yo, Becky, what's up? Favorite human alert. Right. (laughs) Three-peat back on the podcast. I mean, when we bring back a three-peat podcast guest, I mean, you know it's going to be good. But we really wanted to just kind of uncover a lot of the conversations that we want to be top and center in this sector, but often get pushed off or delayed or kind of muted on a lot of times. And so we really want to have a conversation about pay you know, in the nonprofit sector, it's kind of the brunt of jokes, right? How many of us were like, oh, you're going to go get a real job after you leave the nonprofit, kind of that mentality. And we just wanted to talk with somebody that could do more than just give us some vision because I love vision and I could stay in the vision space for a long time, but we wanted a conversation that got into nuts and bolts of like action that we could leave today and feel really inspired and empowered to have these big meaty conversations about really pushing to something better for our compensation and the way that we equitably compensate our employees in the nonprofit sector. And so as we looked around, we're like, who would be primed to talk about this? I don't There's know. Really maybe one a, person. <laughs> I was thinking maybe a, I don't know, New York Times, Forbes article enthusiast <laughs> who happens to be one of our dear friends, Evan Feinberg, is coming back to the podcast. We're so delighted to have Evan today. He leads the Stand Together Foundation. And you know, we love this organization. They really look and find these organizations and people that are disruptive in the best of ways that they're making an incredible impact. They put them into their catalyst program and like explode their impact teaching frameworks and really rippling it across the country. The organizations that are involved with them are the ones to watch. And Evan is really at the helm and a humble servant leader and kind of at the core of it. And so we're delighted to have Evan back on the podcast. Evan, get in this house. So glad to see you. Well, it is so great to be with you, John and Becky. I would spend all my time just chatting about the uh, the nonprofit sector. Uh, I, I just love being on the podcast and think the community you build is just incredible. And so anything I can do to help contribute, I'm, I am always game and so excited to have this conversation today. Well, I mean, thanks for coming back to this house. We really have been counting this down. And would you give us just a little bit of your story? I mean, for people that are new to you, we want them to get to know you, the Evan that we know and love. Tell us about what led you into this work, and then we'll jump straight into the combo. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm passionate about the what we would think about the principles of empowerment, those principles that help uh, more human beings, all human beings to flourish. 
And, uh, and so I have throughout my life and career tried to discover what those principles are and help apply them in, in new and different ways. And so early in my career, that took me down the public policy um, route. And so I worked on Capitol Hill and, um, and was sort of in the, the realm of policy and politics for a number of years, uh, but really uh, took advantage of the opportunity to, to, to engage in what my true passion is, which is in our communities, how do we drive these principles of empowerment, these principles that lead to progress in people's lives? How do we use those principles to transform philanthropy, to transform our organizations so that we can really help people to flourish? And so that's how uh, Stand Together Foundation came to be. And uh, we launched it about, uh, look, it's about seven years I've been on the project now, six and a half years we've been uh, out in the public. And, uh, and so it's been a wild ride of going from working with just a handful of nonprofit organizations on these ideas in 2016, uh, to now working with 232 nonprofits all over the country. Soon that'll be over 300 nonprofits around the country and, uh, helping them to apply these principles to their management frameworks and to their impact vision, uh, work, uh, how they measure success, uh, in, in general, how do we build a, a movement that transforms lives and transforms communities? I mean, I need to reflect your compliment back to you. I mean, the community that you have built over at Stand Together, it not only is it so modern, progressive, impactful, it is so human and and relevant. You guys are such good people. I am fangirling every time I see something that comes out of your community. And and I just want to say you're you're just the perfect person to talk about this. I love that you talked about empowered-based, you know, philanthropy. You wrote this great article for Forbes. We're going to drop it in the show notes because I think it's so powerful. It's about how do you make the use the great resignation to be stronger. And I really love this concept and Evan, you're just a beacon in terms of how do we get out of our scarcity mindset and really start to pour into uh, solutions that not only power the mission, but they power the people too in such an equitable and healthy way. So I want to transition just a little bit to talking about this pay equity problem in the sector. And I feel so many people in our community leaned in to this conversation. We've we've talked about it in our community and coffees. We've socialized it a little bit in the community. And when we do, there's an explosion and a flurry of activity where people want to know, how do we get past this pay equity problem? So I would love for you to just kind of talk about this a little bit because we get so busy building a sector that is serving, we forget to value ourselves. So we're thinking like, what if we flip the script up, level up, start to attract the most magnetic people and stop living in scarcity? So talk to us about how do we start to paint a picture of this equity problem in our sector and what are the solutions that you're seeing? Yeah, well, that's such a great question, Becky. Uh, You referenced the article that I wrote in Forbes. It was in response to this just really terrible article in the New York Times, basically saying that nonprofits have to settle for second best. They have to settle for the scraps of the for-profit industry. And so if the for-profit world is having this great resignation and people are leaving their jobs in droves, then the nonprofit industry is going to get hit even harder. And we're going to have to settle for essentially the bottom of the barrel, so to speak. And I, I just think it it was offensive, Becky. It was it offensive, is offensive to me. Offensive. I reject that, that thinking. <laughs> and so, 
you know, first of all, let's let's dispel a couple of of important myths, right? First of all, this idea that the nonprofit industry is hurting right now is just not true. Nonprofit giving is up in our country overall, you know, with the general rise in wages and with some inflation going on, the nonprofit sector's giving has continued to increase. And so uh, there's not a problem right now overall in the country with nonprofit giving. So this notion that we're going to lose talent because we can't pay them because we don't have donations coming in, it's not true to start. Nonprofits are the fourth largest employer in the country right now. We're one of the fastest growing sectors. If anything, we might have a problem a little bit with bloating and swelling, but frankly, we're growing like, like crazy as a sector. So there's a, there's a lot going on here that's in the favor of nonprofits. But the other thing is, is that we've always had a competitive advantage with for-profit organizations in what workers want the most. And so in the piece that I wrote in Forbes as a response to this New York Times article, I quoted from the American Workforce Index. It's a survey done by an incredible group called Populous, an incredible leader named Todd Rose, who you've got to have on the podcast. Putting it in the queue. Come on, Todd. (laughs) Todd is phenomenal. He's written a a handful of books. um, But the American Workforce Index demonstrates that whatever people say they want out of their job and their career publicly doesn't actually match what they really privately value and what they really want. And overwhelmingly, what workers want is they want to find meaning and purpose in their work. They want to be trusted to discover new solutions to problems and have autonomy in driving some of those solutions in their work. And so the things that, that those are just a couple of the things that the survey found, but the things that that workers want, nonprofits have this incredible opportunity to provide. But at the end of the day, we are we're missing out on using this competitive advantage for one reason or another, I, either because we're not paying enough to attract those workers um, or we're not providing a management culture in our organization that trusts and empowers our people. So if we think about compensation a little bit differently and we think about management culture a little bit differently, I believe that nonprofits can and should attract the very best talent. And in fact, then, of course, our, our I, look, I believe in the meaning and purpose of for-profit work, but they're going to get our scraps instead. Oh, it's so good. And <laughs> I just believe that, you know, because we've talked so much this season about culture and like if we get it right, like we have got everything lined up to really attract the best and brightest minds because the work that we do are doing is so deeply connected to some of these things that you called out like meaning and purpose. And to be able to show up and do that, like I see the value proposition. So will you kind of help us unwind? Like what are some of the historical narratives that you feel like have driven society to maybe some of the pay inequity? We've talked a little bit on the podcast, how just even the media's portrayal of the nonprofit, kind of like I said in the intro, it's sometimes just like kind of a brunt of jokes, you know, at family gatherings of what a fundraiser does for a living versus, you know, something that maybe in the for-profit side. Can you unpack some of that for us? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think um, there's a, a, this idea of stigma around nonprofit work not being as important to the growth of our economy overall and to the sort of the, the daily life of our republic. And I think that's got to go, right? We have to change that stigma that this work is absolutely critical to driving progress together. I'm, 
I'm someone who believes in um, in free markets and the the growth of our economy overall. It's absolutely critical, but we need that growth to be inclusive of everyone, and we need strong communities that empower everyone to participate. Because if we don't have strong communities, it's going to ultimately lead to the degradation of our of our economic sector um, overall. And so we need a strong social economy alongside our business economy. And so we need we need people to see that big vision and the importance of communities first. Then within our own structures, we definitely have to change some paradigms as well. I'll give you a really specific example. The idea that we would make nonprofit grants, whether it's from government or philanthropists and foundations or from high net worth individuals, the idea that we would make grants uh, based on the amount of overhead that an organization spends is just absolutely ridiculous. You would never evaluate a for-profit company based on that. You'd say, well, do you need to make capital investments and infrastructure investments to that in order to lead to better results for your customers, to lead to more growth for your business? And you'd say, well, if you're spending a lot of money on the capital and infrastructure and staff investments and you're not growing and creating value for your customers, yeah, that's a big mistake. But if you're making those investments and it's paying off, You'd be like, that's fantastic. Let's do a whole lot more of that. Scale, scale. In for profit, you would be scaling at that moment. Exactly. And so this idea that, you know, the 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 historical reason why we look at that 10% number or 20% number on administration is because givers are desperate for measurement that they can compare nonprofits to each other. And the only publicly available data that compares across are what we report to the IRS. And the IRS decided at some point historically to require that nonprofits uh, disclose how much they're spending on their staff and overhead versus their program, so to speak. So this false distinction got codified into our lexicon and then now GuideStar and all these other things publish that data. And that becomes how people make decisions. And it's led to this really nefarious idea that we can't pay our people. Our, you know, we're worried about our leaders' compensation showing up on the our 990s. And so we're afraid to invest in our leaders, what they're worth, what they would be worth in the market, and so on and so forth. And so I think if we're going to get past this, there's some sort of macro level things we've got to change some paradigms on. And then we can get to some of the micro things within our, our organizations as well. Okay, you want to freak out on that, John, or do you want me to? <laughs> I mean, I just want to be like preach. Like that that framing helps so much, you know, of where we're at today and uncovers a lot of the problems in the sector because the organizations that have figured out how to navigate that may look different on paper. And at the same day, like it's it could be hurting the sector. And so it really is working against itself in the thing that was trying to be helpful. So we were here for this conversation. We want to help rewrite a new story with this. So where do you want to go next, B? Or you want to react? I mean, I want to give a practical pro tip here because we just had this conversation with Mallory Erickson a couple of weeks ago um, when we just literally did nothing but squat on the overhead myth issue. And I thought she gave such a great example for, I mean, you talk about guide star, charity navigator, whatever it is. She has had her clients put, and these are her progressive clients who are at bronze level, which let's talk about the distinction of how your gold, silver, and bronze, just the the power dynamic in that is horrible. But she says she has her clients put on their website, on the front of their website. I am a, we are a proud bronze charity navigator listed organization, which means that we 
pour into innovation. We pour into creativity. We pay our people well. And because of that, we are never going to reach the gold star distinction. And we are proud to be sitting in this place. And that's sort of a band-aid, I feel like, on this issue because it's a much bigger problem. But friends, holy smokes, go back, do me a favor, listen to what Evan has said, listen to it a couple times, because I think just empowering and getting that mindset shifted in you. I've got 20 years of thinking in one way in the nonprofit and development and advancement sector. And it is taking time to unwind that scarcity mindset that is keeping us individuals in poverty. And so yes, to all of that. I I think there's a ton of risk aversion among nonprofits because they think there's, this is, this gets back to Todd Rose and collective illusions. So again, you should have him on the show, but Todd talks a lot about how we hear the the sort of loud uh, minorities and the majority of us might feel a different way and we don't realize it um, because we we only hear the loud uh, minorities on either side. But I think most nonprofit leaders think, man, if I spend more on overhead, I'll lose my guide star or whatever the bronze uh, rating. I think folks believe that, oh, all donors are going to care so dramatically about that because I heard from some of my donors that they really look at that. And so they haven't heard from all the donors that are out there and all the foundations that are like, I couldn't care less about that. And so they're they're risk averse. We need our nonprofit leaders to take the risk that you described the, of proudly talking about their bronze star rating instead of their gold, but talk about their innovation. But just in general, I believe this with all my heart. Nonprofit organizations that are truly transforming lives and transforming the world can fundraise off of that transformation. And they just don't have to worry. They can leave this problem of how much money you're spending on infrastructure in the dust because it's like, who cares, right? Look at what we're doing to transform the world. And and that might require risk taking, right? It might require, hey, I got to make the investment up front. And then that investment will bring in top talent. That top talent will help me change the world. When I change the world, I can go fundraise off of that is a a risk mindset that I don't feel like we often see enough of. We see nonprofit leaders playing it safe and then hiding behind, oh, I got to keep my my salaries below 10% because you know that's that's the way this game is played. Evan Feinberg. Okay. Go back and find every Evan time that he's been on the podcast. Cause I think the first time you came on, you talked about impact in the same way that it's like, it's not just this nice number. It's like, what are you really trying to do? And I feel like that's what this conversation is about. It's like getting to the heart and the core and newsflash. The people that are doing that are probably not your donors. These people that are obsessed of metrics that don't tie to actual tangible in- impact. And so I just feel like this conversation is kind of greasing the skids. We are so ready for where to next? Like we've got our mindset right wrapped around this. Share this with your board, share this with your team. Come on, let's jump into, you know, some frameworks. I mean, as we really get to the nuts and bolts, how do we pay people as individuals? How do we incentivize around top performance? Go. (laughs) Yeah, I think um, compensation in both the for-profit and the nonprofit sectors has fallen prey to, um, to good intentions that lead to bad results around ideas around pay equity. So what they're trying to do is they're like, oh, my goodness, we want to avoid unfairly compensating uh, people too uh, too little for the role because of historical injustices, because of un- uh, subconscious bias um, or or many other things that would lead to not paying somebody what they're worth. 
And so because of this good intention of solving that problem, people have turned toward things like pay bans, right? Of trying to make sure, hey, you know, with anyone who's got this role, we're going to make sure they're within this band and things like that. And, And I just think that that's a big, big mistake. Because what we end up doing is we end up um, diminishing people to their job description, right? And characteristics about themselves and trying to make sure those things all match up. So we take a completely different approach to compensation at Stand Together Foundation. And it's one that I think is the most important thing an organization can do to drive equity in their pay, which is to make sure that we have a compensation philosophy that is highly individualized and make sure that that at any given time that we match the total compensation for an individual to their total contribution to the organization, not looking forward, but looking backward. Let me explain what I mean by that. If we are at the end of a year and we look back and we say, who cares what they made in base salary? That person made a contribution that's worth, you know, let's take an example of someone Someone made a contribution and you're saying, if I were to go to the market to get that contribution from anyone, I'd have to pay $100,000 to get that kind of contribution from someone. And I paid that person $50,000 in base salary in the previous year. We would pay them a $50,000 bonus, right? And the, 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 the reason the reason why we would do that is because we want a win-win relationship with our employees at all times, looking backward. Because if at any time we're profiting off of our employees, they make a they, we pay them as little as we can to get the most contribution. Well, we might have gotten in the short term, right, lower cost, higher yield, but that employee is going to go look for employment elsewhere, somewhere that will pay them what they're actually worth. So we don't like that win-loss relationship. We want a win-win relationship with every employee all the time. And it incentivizes them to make the most contribution because they know who cares what my base salary is. I'm going to make the biggest contribution I can. And we, every year, we look at every single person's pay and we look at it blindly, right? Don't even look at what their base comp was. We say, what, did, what contribution did they make? We, we price that number. And then we say, well, what was their base? And then we make them whole for whatever the difference is. Now, some roles are going to be more predictable, right? Some of our entry-level roles and what have you, their base salary is going to make up a larger percentage of their total comp because we can kind of predict, right, what type of contribution they might make. But if they, if they surprise us, we still pay them for the total amount. And as you get your leaders your leaders are going to have more variability. They, you know, they might make really great decisions and your organization might uh, drive transformative change, or we might make really poor decisions and you do worse that year. And so our leaders hold more of their pay at risk than perhaps the average employee at our organization. But we do the same philosophy for every single employee. And and here's where this gets at the equity point. And and then I'll, I'll uh, let you jump in. Uh, You know, you might be able to get away even unknowingly with paying someone less than their worth because of some characteristic about them. They may have gotten less education. Um, they may be uh, from a historically marginalized uh, people group that uh, enables you to sort of uh, beat the market because you're willing to hire, uh, you know, sort of take bets on someone with less education or what have you. 
this compensation philosophy enables you to avoid making those mistakes because you're going to look at their actual contribution in the year. And we're going to challenge every single person as an individual. And so if it, if it comes back that someone's biased and recommending lower amounts, you'd start to see that over time. Be like, my goodness, this person's contribution is outpacing these contributions. Why is it that the price of their contribution is lower? And so it gives you a way to make sure that you never get away with paying someone less than their contribution was worth. Hey friends, we're taking a quick pause to quite literally invite you into this conversation. We really want to hear from you and hear about your personal experiences and the topics that we're unpacking this week as part of Pay, Leave, and Power Week. So head on over to weareforgood.com slash power, and there you're going to find a place where you can share your story confidentially through our secure form that's there, or you can even leave us an anonymous voice message if you want to add your actual voice to the conversation. You know we'd love to hear from you either way. That's weareforgood.com slash power. And while you're there, we've also designed the page to lead you into action within your organization. Here you can connect with this week's guest and get a deep roundup of resources and access to frameworks and scripts to help you get this conversation started as we begin changing the trajectory of these deeply rooted problems that are plaguing our sector. We hope to see you there. Okay. Um, First of all, how many people listening to this episode had their heart drop when Evan said we would give them a $50,000 bonus? Like I can tell you that nonprofit professionals could not even wrap their mind around what that would do to impact their life. And I also think about what happens when you invest and value someone who is so passionate about your mission. I think about the, like attrition goes away, like your retention of employees, the value you feel, the cultural vibrancy, the way you feel seen and, and like a human being, you feel like you are really contributing. I just think having this mindset, this model is so progressive and it, it to me, if you if you actually dive into this in this way, it could scale you in untold ways. And I'm not even just talking about the bottom line. It would be a magnet for incredible talent to come to your organization because the value proposition is just so high. And I want to dive a little bit into what you mean by contribution, because as I'm thinking about it, it's really easy to figure out a, you know, a model of who's contributing what if you're a frontline fundraiser, if you're the digital marketer. I'm like thinking about our donor relations folks, our gift processors, how do you value a contribution of someone who is not on the front line? Yeah, I'll give you the example that, you know, my my assistant is one of the uh, top performers on our team. She's phenomenal. And her role is not fundraising. It's not, um, it's not even, it's not managing our programs or projects. But I believe that by uh, making, she helps me to be much more effective in my daily life. She's uh, the best of the best at what she does. Her name is Lisa. I hope she listens to this. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. We love Lisa. We love you, Lisa. <laughs> we don't measure contribution like a like a formula. You raise X amount of dollars, you get X percent. The way we run the organization is we say to ourselves, if we had to go to the market and hire the next the next best alternative, the replacement player for Lisa, what would we have to do? To, to pay that person to get the type of contribution 
that Lisa can make. And if and a, a simple device I use is, and I hate to be talking about Lisa's compensation. We're not talking specifics, obviously, <laughs> but you, we basically say if we uh, were to say to ourselves, if I dangled the amount of money that we are saying we're going to pay Lisa this year to the market, could I get people to line up who are capable of making that contribution? And I'd have my pick of folks to be like, oh my goodness, for that amount of money, we could get high end, lots of high end talent. If we've got, uh, if we could imagine a list of people out the door that would, that would uh, come to, to work and be able to make that contribution, we're probably paying too much, right? But if we we're saying to ourselves, my goodness, if, if Lisa left and we offered her salary to the market, we could never replace, which this is, you know, usually the case with Lisa, we could never replace that kind of contribution. Then we, then we're paying too little in that case. And we need to think about the total compensation increasing. And you're trying to get that sort of Goldilocks number each year that says, okay, we've accurately priced that contribution against the market. And look, this is an art, not a science. So some years we'll get it wrong too high. Some years we'll get it wrong too low. But this is the commitment that we make to every one of our employees. Every year, your supervisor will be incredibly intentional about the price of the of the contributions you made to the organization and that we're going to get challenge and feedback on that from others who can help make sure that we're being thoughtful about it. So we don't have everyone challenge everyone's comp, but we've got definitely uh, levels of leadership and board that are making that are providing challenge and feedback to make sure that we're accurately pricing each person's contribution each year. And I think that level of intentionality is what sets our comp philosophy apart. I think too, I just keep thinking of like the sustainability that this builds to of just kind of putting you in this place that you don't, we talk about succession plans, you know, like what's next, what's happening next. If you have earmarked that Lisa is this caliber person that you have to be able to retain, even if she does leave, your budget is already there to find that level of talent. Like I just think it, it sets you up to have less interruption to, and creates the culture on the front end that people probably aren't going to leave unless there's just some extenuating circumstance, but it just all feels like it feeds each other in the best of ways. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I get the biggest challenge I get from nonprofit leaders on taking this individualized total compensation for total contribution is first of all, they think that there's going to be lots of people that are making 50,000 that get a $50,000 bonus. That's a great problem to have. Uh, that's a very rare thing for someone to just, you uh, you totally uh, underestimated what they were capable of and they just, you know, crush it to that level. That's, that's probably a, a rare thing. And so there's not as much variability as people think. But secondly, they think, oh, well, well it, that makes sense if you've got like deep pockets to be able to pay out these bonuses. We don't. It's not so much the total salary, like we have to, as we talked about before, commit ourselves to paying our people what they're worth overall, but it's just a way of how you structure it, right? You're, you're basically adva- using salary as an advance on value contribution and a bonus as a way of making somebody whole so that that way you, you get the total comp right each year in arrears. Versus if you pay out high salaries, you might end up paying a lot of your team more than the value they created in the past year and then underpaying your top performers. And that's also not a place you want to be. You don't want to be in a place where you're sort of um, you bloat your, your salaries across the board 
uh, and then you know you don't have variability, so that basically like you're not incentivizing a good year or feeling some pain in a bad year. A lot of for-profit companies do that part better than nonprofits, and I think we've got to we've got to learn here as we we have to be relentless that we care about impact, and we're going to reward the people on our team that drive more impact. We have to be relentless about driving impact. I mean, there's no better phrase than what we're trying to do and what we call the impact uprising here than trying to be relentless and unapologetic about it. And I am just sitting here in my chair praying that there are so many nonprofit leaders that are listening to this. And I hope you listen to it a couple times because I want this to get in everyone's head and I want to like get our arms around it because I have never in my years in nonprofit ever had a manager bring me in and talk about the value that I've brought to the organization and ever talked about a pathway for me to be better compensated. Can you imagine what that would do for your affinity to the organization, to your level of hustle, loyalty? I just think that is an incredible pro tip. And I want to I get practical and I want your counsel on this, Evan. I mean, we're we have a lot of people who are not leaders, you know, that listen to this podcast. So for fundraisers, for again, that donor relations person, that gift processor, we want to talk about negotiation tips and where to start. So let's talk to the frontline fundraisers who are listening right now. What is your advice for them as they start to negotiate salaries, benefits, and having these conversations internally? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, Becky, I'm I'm so sorry that you've never had a supervisor that's that's uh, sat you down to talk about your compensation. I think it's normal in our sector, John. Have you? Which I feel bad because I don't. I was John's supervisor, so <laughs> no, it probably I says I that I didn't I, do I it. I felt valued throughout my career, but I never felt like that was tied to my pay. <laughs> you know, truly, pay. which is a scary thought. Yeah. Yeah. I well, well, mm. I think that you've brought up a really important point that. Every supervisor, every employee should think about how to productively, not sort of be entitled to this, but productively start the conversation with their supervisor and with their direct reports, whether the comp philosophy of the organization matches something like what I said or not, to talk about, hey, I, I would like to grow my compensation. I, would, I believe that the way to grow my compensation is to create more value for the organization what are the ways in which I could create more value for the organization that would enable me to grow my compensation? If we had everybody having that conversation rather than thinking about how do I get a different degree or a different title um, to get more money or move organizations to get more money, we that would be an, uh, a revolution in the sector in and of itself. So I hope I, I hope everyone has oh, yes. that. Holy crap, yes. Like if those conversations happen, and I think too, like there's just this philosophy that the only way to move up the chain is to start managing more people, which you see all these people just tank because they're not managers. That's not what they're great at, you know? And so I just think, yes, can we have those conversations? That's anybody could have that conversation with their supervisor today. I mean, you know? And I think that's the, you asked about what does the frontline fundraiser do? I think that fundraisers have, they get, often into this um, this trap of saying, oh, well, the way I'll get paid is a percentage of my fundraising um, dollars. And, you know, th- this that incentive could be really nefarious, right? Because you guys preach often, we want the right donors, right? We want dollars for the biggest priorities for the organization, right? So there are all kinds of things that you would 
would label as goals of your fundraising team that are your frontline marketers, they're building your brand in the marketplace. They're all these things that fundraisers create value toward. They're going to help bring feedback back to the, the programs teams and others in the organization to make them stronger. We often talk about uh, contribution to our management culture, to our organizational culture is one of the top contributions that people make. And if you only price the outputs of someone's fundraising and you didn't price their contributions to providing challenge and feedback and sharing knowledge across the organization and helping us to develop our vision and better understand um, how to create value um, in general, you're all of this unseen benefit you're missing in your pay. Or you might have a fundraiser who's awesome at raising money and is a total jerk. And they might be totally tanking your organization, but it, but it's showing up in their outputs. And you don't want to be giving them big bonuses and paying them more and more money while they're d- totally destroying your organizational culture at the same time. So we don't like to use the sort of counting numbers for incentives for that reason. So all that's to say, I would encourage your frontline fundraiser to have a holistic conversation with their supervisor and with the leadership of their organization on how they can create more value for the organization and to think about it um, in that regard and see if they can't tie future compensation growth to uh, a maybe more broad view of, of how to create value. I don't want to overstate this <laughs> too much. But I feel like Evan is the oracle <laughs> of what we need from the from the business for profit side. Evan is the oracle. He is the one that not not only do you bring these frameworks, you bring this explosive vision and mindset shift that just feels so much like it's needed and will power the moment that we're in right now. I can completely understand why Stand Together Foundation is such a vibrant organization. And I don't know what else to add to that other than I just want to be your friend forever (laughs) and sit at your feet and learn from you because this is such an epic conversation. And I hope people that are listening right now are really taking it in and I hope it empowers you. I hope it empowers you to keep diving into this topic because this is going to take a legion of people who believe in this, who are powering these narratives forward. I think education on this topic is absolutely key and socializing that education. Your board needs to be completely on board with this level of value because a lot of them, I'm going to guess, are businessmen and women who understand how to scale, how to scale a for-profit. And if we can apply those mentalities to it, the the mission space, there is no limit to the change that we can see in our individual communities and around the world. And to know that an, a nonprofit professional from the lowest paid to the top paid feels such value as they're chasing that is something so aspirational that I just want everyone to soak in and really embrace and try to chase alongside us. Beckett, I love that. You used uh, the phrase, I hope everyone feels empowered. And I love, I love your language around, we need an impact uprising. Just come back to why is this so important for a second? I think if people think of nonprofits as organizations that are like agencies that push out services, that we know what to do, we know how to improve people's lives today, and we just need nonprofits to deliver services, then none of this matters, right? None of this, 
None of this, how you pay people to create more value, none of that matters if that's the case. But of course, we know that that's not. We need a dynamic and vibrant social sector that discovers each and every day new and better ways of helping people to realize their full potential, to live lives of meaning and purpose, to solve major barriers in our communities. And since those answers are not known, they have to be discovered by social entrepreneurs. We need your listeners to to be on the frontier and the cutting edge of this impact uprising that that drives just this, this entrepreneurship and discovery of the future. And as they do that, they're going to need to be able to incentivize and reward entrepreneurship and empowerment where they are empowering each of their employees to go be the leader that in that regard. And that requires to think about everything differently. Compensation is certainly one of them, um, but it's going to be their vision. It's going to be how they measure imp- everything. So we've talked about a lot as I've been on the show previously, but don't sleep on the rewards and incentives for your staff to attract and retain and motivate top talent and make sure you avoid all the traps of, hey, I, I want to root out uh, subconscious bias, for example, in my compensation. Don't accidentally create a pay system that creates pay bans and bureaucracy in your effort to do that. Instead, get radically focused and intentional on the individual so that you make sure that you don't, uh, without knowing it, pay someone less than they're worth. I mean, that is so beautiful, Evan. You know, I know a lot of people listening are probably thinking, I'm sitting here in a small nonprofit. How are we ever going to transition to this? So I want to give you a second because I just think of y'all as catalysts. They don't come in the door, these huge mammoth organizations with huge budgets. They're entrepreneurial minded. They're scrappy. They've figured things out in their community. I mean, would you just kind of give cast vision for how, what does this do as these frameworks are put on organizations that are trying to figure out how to grow their impact. What does this do? How does it bring people alive and bring us home with this conversation today? Yeah. I, I mean, the way that even a small nonprofit can begin to transform themselves around this idea is to start using the lens of empowerment in everything they do. So even if you don't transform into some major bonus uh, structure tomorrow, Um, The way to start is the conversations between supervisors and employees. It could be a two-person nonprofit and you're you're talking about how are we going to make decisions around compensation, roles and responsibilities, et cetera, and tie it all back to a shared vision and a shared set of principles around what we're looking for in the organization and say, and we're going to then radically and intentionally focus on you as an individual, your professional development your responsibilities, what we're going to give you autonomy and ownership over in the organization because of your unique gifts and talents, right? We don't do nearly enough of the discussion about this. And as you as you get individualized and focus on the unique gifts and talents of each individual, then you can help provide them the roles and responsibilities that you need them to do. And then you can get to compensating them appropriately based on that unique contribution. So I would really encourage if if everyone hears this wonky conversation about compensation, they take one thing out of it. It's to have that sit down conversation and individualize it. Talk about their responsibilities and their compensation based on their unique gifts and talents and what will empower them to create more value for the organization. If you have that conversation, then then the mechanics of comp and everything else will flow very easily. 
I mean, I'm just so geeked out about this. And I confess that I have like a tiny bit of sadness that I was not in working in nonprofit to see this actually play out, you know? And so I just want to say to everyone out there, do, do your 1% shift today, do one thing today. And if it's that conversation, I can assure you it will open the door to more conversations like that. I just see this and maybe that one conversation as a pebble dropped and the ripple that can come from that. I hope, again, I'm using this word, you feel empowered to go and, and fight for your worth. And I want us to get out of this poverty mentality of uh, that nonprofits have about the value that we bring and the value that we create. You are so worthy of being paid well in the sector. You are so worthy of being compensated for what Evan is talking about, the unique gifts that you uniquely bring to power the mission that you're serving at. So understand that, take that in and use it as fuel to go out into the world. And thank you, Evan, for tying in professional development to it. Because when we talk about equity and benefit structure, pouring into professional development, we think is absolutely key. We've said it many times. It should be the very first thing put into your budget is how are we going to up train everybody in the way that they are powering this mission? Thank you so much. And I'm very depressed to say we got to move to the one good thing because it means our conversation (laughs) is winding down, but I don't know how you're going to bring it all together, but what's your one good thing that you want to give to our audience today, Evan? You know, I, I, uh, I, there's so many things that I could choose from. My one good thing is I, we just recently did a retreat with the hundreds of organizations. We had, I think, 125 people in San Antonio, Texas, to look inwardly about ourselves as nonprofit leaders and organizations and what we can do to self-actualize in our roles, to, to more deeply tap into each of our gifts and talents, to contribute more to a catalyst movement across our country to drive what you guys call an impact uprising. I think of an empowerment movement that's going to transform our communities all over the country. Uh, and I just got to be with um, the most... Uh, influential leaders of nonprofits in the country, not because of the size of their nonprofits, but because of the size of their hearts and the incredible impact of their, um, their organization. And, uh, and I just left inspired. And so, you know, I, I say this all the time. There are people that despair for our country. They despair for our communities. They look at the poverty all around us, the polarization all around us, and they despair. And, I don't do that ever because I get to be around the the dealers of hope out there that are transforming lives and transforming communities. And I hope everyone just uh, when they when they when they find themselves in, in any of that despair, they they look around at the incredible impact uprising happening already and everywhere uh, that we get to be a part of and and find find their hope in that. What a freaking epic one good thing. I mean, we're here for this. <laughs> Evan, point people to how they can connect. And I'm telling y'all, track these catalyst organizations. They are inspiring. Oh my gosh. I, the videos on y'all's website, you'll just get taken into these missions and these people that have the hugest hearts. 
and are making real tangible impact. So point us to where people can find you online, Evan. I mean, you're in the Forbes magazine, so just pick that up too while you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> yes. StandTogetherFoundation.org is probably the best place to find us and read all about our Catalyst uh, network and, and ways to get involved. And if folks are interested in the, the training that we offer and the, the programming that we offer, we'd love to connect that way. Um, and then, yeah, check out some of those articles I write for the Forbes nonprofit council. Um, so I've got a number of articles on, on management measurement. Uh, this idea of the great resignation was a previous one, uh, some stuff coming up on, on, uh, youth and child welfare and place-based philanthropy and, and a number of other, um, uh, topics that hopefully, uh, will be of interest to your listeners. I mean, you're just such a heart-wired visionary that honestly, you are one of those people that gives me the hope. You you take me out of despair every time that we talk because I just think that you are you, and I say you collectively, Stand Together Foundation is just so visionary. And the fact that you've already dropped your pebble into your community. I mean, I'm just thinking about all the pebbles that could be dropped as we socialize these conversations. I want to thank every person who came into this conversation, clicked on your podcast episode to listen to this. I feel changed by it. I hope you do too. And I am totally jazzed and so appreciative. Please go find Ebony's on LinkedIn, incredible thought leadership as well. And gosh, guys, we've got this. I just want to give everybody like a mama bear hug and an attaboy. Let's get out there and and let's go fight for ourselves. You are worthy of it. Full hearts, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, Evan. Thanks for having me. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free. And you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing. If you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.